Section 11 of Appreciations with an Essay on Style. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Eberly Thomas. Appreciations by Walter Pater. Section 11 Measure for Measure. In Measure for Measure, as in some other of his plays, Shakespeare has remodelled an earlier and somewhat rough composition to finer issues, suffering much to remain as it had come from the less skilful hand, and not raising the whole of his work to an equal degree of intensity. Hence, perhaps, some of that depth and weightiness which make this play so impressive as with the true seal of experience, like a fragment of life itself, rough and disjointed indeed, but forced to yield in places its profounder meaning. In Measure for Measure, in contrast with the flawless execution of Romeo and Juliet, Shakespeare has spent his art in just enough modification of the scheme of the older play to make it exponent of this purpose, adapting its terrible essential incidents so that Coleridge found it the only painful work among Shakespeare's dramas, and leaving for the reader of today more than the usual number of difficult expressions, but infusing a lavish color and a profound significance into it, so that under his touch certain select portions of it rise far above the level of all but his own best poetry, and working out of it a morality so characteristic that the play might well pass for the central expression of his moral judgments. It remains a comedy, as indeed is congruous with the bland, half-humorous equity which informs the whole composition, sinking from the heights of sorrow and terror into the rough scheme of the earlier piece. Yet it is hardly less full of what is really tragic in man's existence than if Claudio had indeed stooped to death. Even the humorous concluding scenes have traits of special grace, retaining in less emphatic passages a stray lyre or word of power, as it seems, so that we watch to the end for the traces where the nobler hand has glanced along, leaving its vestiges as if accidentally or wastefully in the rising of the style. The interest of Measure for Measure, therefore, is partly that of an old story told over again. We measure with curiosity that variety of resources which has enabled Shakespeare to refashion the original material with a higher motive, adding to the intricacy of the piece, yet so modifying its structure as to give the whole almost the unity of a single scene, lending by the light of a philosophy which dwells much on what is complex and subtle in our nature a true human propriety to its strange and unexpected turns of feeling and character, to incidents so difficult as the fall of Angelo and the subsequent reconciliation of Isabella, so that she pleads successfully for his life. It was from Whetstone, a contemporary English writer, that Shakespeare derived the outline of Cintio's rare history of Promos and Cassandra, one of that numerous class of Italian stories, like Boccaccio's Tancred of Salerno, in which the mere energy of southern passion has everything its own way. 
and which though they may repel many a northern reader by a certain crudity in their colouring seem to have been full of fascination for the elizabethan age this story as it appears in whetstone's endless comedy is almost as rough as the roughest episode of actual criminal life but the play seems never to have been acted and some time after its publication whetstone himself turned the thing into a tale included in his heptameron of civil discourses where it still figures as a genuine piece with touches of undesigned poetry a quaint field-flower here and there of diction or sentiment the whole strung up to an effective brevity and with the fragrance of that admirable age of literature all about it here then there is something of the original italian colour in this narrative shakespeare may well have caught the first glimpse of a composition with nobler proportions and some artless sketch from his own hand perhaps putting together his first impressions insinuated itself between whetstone's work and the play as we actually read it out of these insignificant sources shakespeare's play rises full of solemn expression and with a profoundly designed beauty the new body of a higher though sometimes remote and difficult poetry escaping from the imperfect relics of the old story yet not wholly transformed and even as it stands but the preparation only we might think of a still more imposing design for once we have in it a real example of that sort of writing which is sometimes described as suggestive and which by the help of certain subtly calculated hints only brings into distinct shape the reader's own half-developed imaginings often the quality is attributed to writing merely vague and unrealized but in measure for measure quite certainly shakespeare has directed the attention of sympathetic readers along certain channels of meditation beyond the immediate scope of his work measure for measure therefore by the quality of these higher designs woven by his strange magic on a texture of poorer quality is hardly less indicative than hamlet even of shakespeare's reason of his power of moral interpretation it deals not like hamlet with the problems which beset one of exceptional temperament but with mere human nature it brings before us a group of persons attractive full of desire vessels of the genial seed-bearing powers of nature a gaudy existence flowering out over the old court and city of vienna a spectacle of the fullness and pride of life which to some may seem to touch the verge of wantonness behind this group of people behind their various action shakespeare inspires in us the sense of a strong tyranny of nature and circumstance then what shall there be on this side of it on our side the spectator's side of this painted screen with its puppets who are really glad or sorry all the time what philosophy of life what sort of equity stimulated to read more carefully by shakespeare's own profounder touches the reader will note the vivid reality the subtle interchange of light and shade the strongly contrasted characters of this group of persons passing across the stage so quickly the slightest of them 
is at least not ill-natured the meanest of them can put forth a plea for existence truly sir i am a poor fellow that would live they are never sure of themselves even in the strong tower of a cold unimpressible nature they are capable of many friendships and of a true dignity in danger giving each other a sympathetic if transitory regret one sorry that another should be foolishly lost at a game of tic-tac words which seem to exhaust man's deepest sentiment concerning death and life are put on the lips of a gilded witless youth and the saintly isabella feels fire creep along her kindling her tongue to eloquence at the suggestion of shame in places the shadow deepens death intrudes itself on the scene as among other things a great disguiser blanching the features of youth and spoiling its goodly hair touching the fine claudio even with its disgraceful associations as in orcagna's fresco at pisa it comes capriciously giving many and long reprieves to barnardine who has been waiting for it nine years in prison taking another thence by fever another by mistake of judgment embracing others in the midst of their music and song the little mirror of existence which reflects to each for a moment the stage on which he plays is broken at last by a capricious accident while all alike in their yearning for untasted enjoyment are really discounting their days grasping so hastily and accepting so inexactly the precious pieces the duke's quaint but excellent moralizing at the beginning of the third act does but express like the chorus of a greek play the spirit of the passing incidents to him in shakespeare's play to a few here and there in the actual world this strange practical paradox of our life so unwise in its eager haste reveals itself in all its clearness the duke disguised as a friar with his curious moralizing on life and death and isabella in her first mood of renunciation a thing enskied and sainted come with the quiet of the cloister as a relief to this lust and pride of life like some grey monastic picture hung on the wall of a gaudy room their presence cools the heated air of the peace for a moment we are within the placid conventual walls whither they fancy at first that the duke has come as a man crossed in love with friar thomas and friar peter calling each other by their homely english names or at the nunnery among the novices with their little limited privileges where if you speak you must not show your face or if you show your face you must not speak not less precious for this relief in the general structure of the piece than for its own peculiar graces is the episode of mariana a creature wholly of shakespeare's invention told by way of interlude in subdued prose the moated grange with its dejected mistress its long listless discontented days where we hear only the voice of a boy broken off suddenly in the midst of one of the loveliest songs of shakespeare or of shakespeare's school is the pleasantest of many glimpses we get here of pleasant places the field without the town angelo's garden-house the consecrated fountain 
Indirectly, it has suggested two of the most perfect compositions among the poetry of our own generation. Again, it is a picture within a picture, but with fainter lines and a grayer atmosphere. We have here the same passions, the same wrongs, the same continuance of affection, the same crying out upon death, as in the nearer and larger piece, though softened and reduced to the mood of a more dreamy scene. Of Angelo, we may feel at first sight inclined to say only, guarda e passa, or to ask whether he is indeed psychologically possible. In the old story, he figures as an embodiment of pure and unmodified evil, like Heliogabalus of Rome, or Dennis of Sicily. But the embodiment of pure evil is no proper subject of art, and Shakespeare, in the spirit of a philosophy which dwells much on the complications of outward circumstance with men's inclinations, turns into a subtle study in casuistry. This incident of the austere judge fallen suddenly into utmost corruption by momentary contact with supreme purity. But the main interest in Measure for Measure is not, as in Promos and Cassandra, in the relation of Isabella and Angelo, but rather in the relation of Claudio and Isabella. Greek tragedy in some of its noblest products has taken for its theme the love of a sister, a sentiment unimpassioned indeed, purifying by the very spectacle of its passionlessness, but capable of a fierce and almost animal strength if informed for a moment by pity and regret. At first Isabella comes upon the scene as a tranquilizing influence in it, but Shakespeare in the development of the action brings quite different and unexpected qualities out of her. It is his characteristic poetry to expose this cold, chastened personality, respected even by the worldly Lucio as something inskied and sainted and almost an immortal spirit, to two sharp, shameful trials, and wring out of her a fiery, revealing eloquence. Thrown into the terrible dilemma of the piece, called upon to sacrifice that cloistral whiteness to sisterly affection, become in a moment the ground of strong, contending passions, she develops a new character and shows herself suddenly of a kindred with those strangely conceived women like Webster's Vittoria, who unite to a seductive sweetness something of a dangerous and tiger-like changefulness of feeling. The swift, vindictive anger leaps like a white flame into this white spirit, and stripped in a moment of all convention, she stands before us clear, detached, columnar, among the tender frailties of the peace. Cassandra, the original of Isabella in Whetstone's tale, with the purpose of the Roman Lucretia in her mind, yields gracefully enough to the conditions of her brother's safety, and to the lighter reader of Shakespeare there may seem something harshly conceived, or psychologically impossible even, in the suddenness of the change wrought in her, as Claudio welcomes for a moment the chance of life through her compliance with Angelo's will. And he may have a sense here of flagging skill, as in words less finely handled than in the preceding scene. The play, though still not without traces of nobler handiwork, sinks down, as we know, at last, into almost homely comedy, 
and it might be supposed that just here the grander manner deserted it but the skill with which isabella plays upon claudio's well-recognized sense of honour and endeavours by means of that to ensure him beforehand from the acceptance of life on baser terms indicates no coming laxity of hand just in this place it was rather that there rose in shakespeare's conception as there may for the reader as there certainly would in any good acting of the part something of that terror the seeking for which is one of the notes of romanticism in shakespeare and his circle the stream of ardent natural affection poured as a sudden hatred upon the youth condemned to die adds an additional note of expression to the horror of the prison where so much of the scene takes place it is not here only that shakespeare has conceived of such extreme anger and pity as putting a sort of genius into simple women so that their lips drop eloquence and their intuitions interpret that which is often too hard or fine for manlier reason and it is isabella with her grand imaginative diction and that poetry laid upon the prone and speechless dialect there is in mere youth itself who gives utterance to the equity the finer judgments of the piece on men and things from behind this group with its subtle lights and shades its poetry its impressive contrasts shakespeare as i said conveys to us a strong sense of the tyranny of nature and circumstance over human action the most powerful expressions of this side of experience might be found here the bloodless impassable temperament does but wait for its opportunity for the almost accidental coherence of time with place and place with wishing to annul its long and patient discipline and become in a moment the very opposite of that which under ordinary conditions it seemed to be even to itself the mere resolute self-assertion of the blood brings to others special temptations temptations which as defects or overgrowths lie in the very qualities which make them otherwise imposing or attractive the very advantage of men's gifts of intellect or sentiment being dependent on a balance in their use so delicate that men hardly maintain it always something also must be conceded to influences merely physical to the complexion of the heavens the skyey influences shifting as the stars shift as something also to the mere caprice of men exercised over each other in the dispensations of social or political order to the chance which makes the life or death of claudio dependent on angelo's will the many veins of thought which render the poetry of this place so weighty and impressive unite in the image of claudio a flower-like young man whom prompted by a few hints from shakespeare the imagination easily clothes with all the bravery of youth as he crosses the stage before us on his way to death coming so hastily to the end of his pilgrimage set in the horrible blackness of the prison with its various forms of unsightly death this flower seems the braver fallen by prompture of the blood the victim of a suddenly revived law against the common fault of youth like his, he finds his life forfeited as if by the chance of a lottery. 
with that instinctive clinging to life which breaks through the subtlest casuistries of monk or sage apologizing for an early death he welcomes for a moment the chance of life through his sister's shame though he revolts hardly less from the notion of perpetual imprisonment so repulsive to the buoyant energy of youth familiarized by the words alike of friends and the indifferent to the thought of death he becomes gentle and subdued indeed yet more perhaps through pride than real resignation and would go down to darkness at last hard and unblinded called upon suddenly to encounter his fate looking with keen and resolute profile straight before him he gives utterance to some of the central truths of human feeling the sincere concentrated expression of the recoiling flesh thoughts as profound and poetical as hamlet's arise in him and but for the accidental arrest of sentence he would descend into the dust a mere gilded idle flower of youth indeed but with what are perhaps the most eloquent of all shakespeare's words upon his lips as shakespeare in measure for measure has refashioned after a nobler pattern materials already at hand so that the relics of other men's poetry are incorporated into his perfect work so traces of the old morality that early form of dramatic composition which had for its function the inculcating of some moral theme survive in it also and give it a peculiar ethical interest this ethical interest though it can escape no attentive reader yet in accordance with that artistic law which demands the predominance of form everywhere over the mere matter or subject handled is not to be wholly separated from the special circumstances necessities embarrassments of these particular dramatic persons the old moralities exemplified most often some rough-and-ready lesson here the very intricacy and subtlety of the moral world itself the difficulty of seizing the true relations of so complex a material the difficulty of just judgment of judgment that shall not be unjust are the lessons conveyed even in whetstone's old story this peculiar vein of moralizing comes to the surface even there we notice the tendency to dwell on mixed motives the contending issues of action the presence of virtues and vices alike in unexpected places on the hard choice of two evils on the imprisoning of men's real intents measure for measure is full of expressions drawn from a profound experience of these casuistries and that ethical interest becomes predominant in it it is no longer promos and cassandra but measure for measure its new name expressly suggesting the subject of poetical justice the action of the play like the action of life itself for the keener observer develops in us the conception of this poetical justice and the yearning to realize it the true justice of which angelo knows nothing because it lies for the most part beyond the limits of any acknowledged law the idea of justice involves the idea of rights but at bottom rights are equivalent to that which really is to facts and the recognition of his rights therefore the justice he requires of our hands or our thoughts is the recognition of that which the person in his inmost nature really is 
and as sympathy alone can discover that which really is in matters of feeling and thought, true justice is in its essence a finer knowledge through love. Tis very pregnant, the jewel that we find we stoop and take it, because we see it, but what we do not see we tread upon and never think of it. It is for this finer justice, a justice based on a more delicate appreciation of the true conditions of men and things, a true respect of persons in our estimate of actions, that the people in measure for measure cry out as they pass before us. And as the poetry of this play is full of the peculiarities of Shakespeare's poetry, so in its ethics it is an epitome of Shakespeare's moral judgments. They are the moral judgments of an observer, of one who sits as a spectator and knows how the threads in the design before him hold together under the surface. They are the judgments of the humorist also, who follows with a half-amused but always pitiful sympathy the various ways of human disposition, and sees less distance than ordinary men between what are called respectively great and little things. It is not always that poetry can be the exponent of morality, but it is this aspect of morals which it represents most naturally, for this true justice is dependent on just those finer appreciations which poetry cultivates in us the power of making, those peculiar valuations of action and its effect which poetry actually requires. End of section 11 Recording by Eberly Thomas